Well, good morning, and happy Mother's Day again. It's good to see all of you here today. I'm sure some of you have uh, have some special plans for mom uh, this special day. And uh, for those of you that don't have your mom in town, I'm sure you're going to give her a call and, and wish her well. You know, moms are a special part of every family. Mothers are the ones that we can always rely on and always depend on. They're the ones that we run to in time of need. And, you know, I'm reminded of a, of a story about a little boy who was playing Jesus in the church play. He was acting out Jesus, and his mother was in the front row helping him with some of his lines any time that he forgot his lines. And so sure enough, he would pause and freeze up on stage and, and, and get all white because he forgot his line. And his mom would, would motion to him and say, she'd, she'd, mouth the, she'd mouth the words to him. So he'd be watching his mom. She'd be like, he'd be like, okay, I know my line now. And he'd say his line. And then he'd act out the play a little bit more and he'd freeze and he'd look at mom and she'd be mouthing the words of his line. Well, the boy started getting really, really good at this. And he started to rely on mom more and more as the play went on. And, and sure enough, he got stumped again and he looked at mom again and, and she mouthed the words. And he said, Mom, what would you say? And she's mouthing the words, I am the light of the world. But the boy couldn't make it out and he's looking at her again. And she, one more time she says, I am the light of the world. And the boy, fully understanding his mother at that time, smiled big and pronounced to the crowd, My mother is the light of the world. Oops. <laughs> but boy, I tell you, moms are lights, aren't they? Moms are what bring us light into our lives. They are the ones that protect us, that defend us, that love and care for us. Mom is the one that we depend on in time of need. And the question I want to ask us today is, can mom depend on us in her time of need? You see, today's message, I really don't want to so much speak to mom as much as I do want to speak to the children, to children of mothers, to those of us out there who have a mom and perhaps a dad who are getting older, I want to speak to you who have a responsibility now to take care of the ones who, is, who have taken care of you. We're going to be turning today to Mark chapter 7. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. And we're going to be reading a story today. By the way, the title of my message, and it's a unique one, but we're going to be learning about this idea called Korban. The title of my message is, Give Mom Care not Corban. And by the way, these are all the ladies that were pregnant in the last year at church. Isn't that pretty amazing? Starting with my wife on the left, all the way down to Katie on the right, all these ladies were pregnant this last year and they took a, they took a pregnancy shot all together. I think it was something like, you know, six boys and two girls out of that. The boys ruled the day. Give mom care, not Corban. You say, what's Corban? Good question. Look at Mark chapter 7. Starting in verse 9, we are going to learn about this concept called Korban. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 9, Jesus is speaking. It says this, Jesus said to them, 
all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down. And many such things you do. Verse 9 again. Take a look at it. Jesus said to them, that is to say to the Pharisees whom, whom He was speaking with, He said to the Pharisees, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Now anyone familiar with the religious leaders of Jesus' day would understand this statement. Jesus, in effect, was saying, you Pharisees repeatedly reject God's law and instead embrace man's tradition. I'll give you an example. Take the Sabbath, for instance. Now, the Sabbath rest, the day of rest in the Jewish custom, in the Jewish law, was a day specifically designed that people might rest from their labor and devote special attention toward worshiping God on that day. God's people were to rest from their manual work and instead devote time to the Lord. Yet the Pharisees forsook the spirit of this law. And rather than resting and worshiping God themselves, they instead followed Jesus around wherever He walked so that they could trap Him and His disciples if they so much as plucked a grain or healed the sick on the Sabbath. Take a look at Luke 13. Notice this quick story, quick illustration of how the Pharisees rejected the Sabbath and embraced their tradition. It says this, Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and, he bent, and, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And Jesus laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Notice verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. Friends, this is an example of the Pharisees abusing, rejecting God's law in favor of their minuscule tradition. They took what was good and perverted it. They took what was meant to be pleasing to God and instead used it for their own gain. In our text today, verse 10, Jesus brings out yet another instance of the Pharisees rejecting God's commands in order to uphold their tradition. Take a look at verse 10. Chapter 7, verse 10 of Mark. Moses says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Now Jesus here is highlighting 
The law of God is found in Exodus 21 and 22. If you turn to those chapters, you will find the fifth commandment, which you are all too familiar with. Honor your father and your mother. And he's reciting that commandment from Exodus 20, 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. And interestingly enough, that command is the only command with a promise attached to it. At the end of that promise, of, at the end of that commandment to honor your father and mother, the promise is that you may, that you may live, let me read it uh, verbatim here, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So the commandment to honor your father and mother is given a promise that if you do so, your days will be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now the second law you're probably less familiar with. That's found in Exodus 21:17, And it states this, He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. This was a pretty stringent law back uh, by our standards today, but back in, in Bible times, this would have been rather commonplace in a variety of law codes, not just in the biblical law code. Those that would curse, that is to say, slander, persecute, accuse their mother or their father would be considered for capital punishment. It was not tolerated. God did not tolerate it. Jesus says, honor, as Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. But the Pharisees took this pleasing law of God and perverted it. Notice verse 11. Notice the contrast. Jesus says, but you say, but you Pharisees say this instead. If a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God. Now what in the world is korban? What is korban? Well, on, on a general level, we're not going to define it explicitly yet, but on a general level, the word korban meant gift or meant offering. It meant to literally take something before the altar and give it to God. But as the word progressed through the centuries, down on to the time of Jesus, the word took on special significance. In the centuries approaching the time of Christ, the meaning had changed. In the first century, the Hebrew term korban was verbally invoked. This is a definition here. was verbally invoked on a personal possession, be it property or livestock, as a declaration of one's intent to eventually give it to God as a temple offering. Let me say that again. It is a Hebrew term, the word korban, and it was verbally invoked during Jesus' days on personal possessions, that is to say property or livestock, as a declaration of one's intent to eventually give it to God as a temple offering. Let's go through this one at a time here. Personal possession, something of value. Okay, It was something of value, be it property or livestock. Verbally invoked, what do we mean by that? A person would set aside one or more of his possessions and would audibly declare it to be korban. In other words, they would point to something that was theirs. Perhaps their home. Perhaps a cow or a goat. 
And they would point to that item and they would say, this item is korban. That is to say, it is a gift to God. Declaration of intent. The possession would not be given as an offering to the temple immediately. But rather, Korban was a verbal promise to give it to the temple in the indefinite future. Notice the word eventually. It would eventually become a sacrifice. It would eventually become an offering given to God by means of the temple. This indefinite future was truly that. It could have been days. could have been months. could have been years. It could have been at death. There was no timetable once this word was declared upon a personal possession as far as when it would be given to the temple. Now you say, this is a rather strange practice. This is, this is really foreign to us. Well, think of it in its modern equivalent. Think of a will. Many of you have written a will. Now that is a written record. However, it is a written record which is a declaration of intent to give personal property to someone in the future. Okay, this is, a will is, as much as we can make it a modern equivalent, it is the closest thing we come to the ancient practice of Korban. However, in the case of Korban, the possession was given to the temple and the temple alone. It was not given to a particular person, as in a will. Now let's come back to where we started. Korban is verbally invoked on a personal possession as a declaration of intent to eventually give it to God. And you might ask the question, why is Jesus condemning this? Why would Jesus condemn this practice? It seems by all indication that it would be a a wonderful gesture on the part of a pious Israelite to declare their items as eventual temple offerings. Wouldn't that be admirable? Wouldn't that be honorable before God? Why is He deriding this method of sacrifice? The answer is found in verse 12. But let's read 10 through 12 yet again. It says this, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is, a gift to God, verse 12, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. And we have a, just like last week, we have a pronoun issue that we need to deal with. In verse 12, who is the people described as you? Then you no longer. It's the Pharisees. And who is the person described as him? Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Him is the one declaring korban. So if we were to substitute the pronouns, take a look at this new Uh, revised sentence, if you will, then you Pharisees, Jesus accuses, no longer let him, that is to say the son declaring Korban, to do anything for his father or his mother. You see, once again, friends, the Pharisees are notorious for taking elements of the Old Testament law and abusing them. 
Just like the Sabbath, a command of God intended for their rest and worship, they diluted it. And they made it into something for man's gain. The same is true with what is happening here with the law of Korban. It was being abused for man's gain. How was it being abused? Well, the Pharisees undoubtedly had parents. They undoubtedly had parents who needed care as they were growing into their elderly years. Perhaps they were growing ill. Perhaps they were coming on hard financial times. And the Pharisees, being pious religious observers of the Torah, the Old Testament law, they knew, they knew God's law. Honor your father and mother. And so, the Pharisees would naturally have helped out their parents in their time of need. And yet, this grew burdensome for them. They knew that they had to pay heed to God's law, and yet they didn't want to pay heed to God's law because this obligation had been growing tremendously during the time of Jesus. You see, the golden age, friends, of Israel was long gone. Israel had become a vassal nation. First to Assyria, then to Babylon, then to Persia, then to Greece, and now to Rome. Their 401k plans, friends, were not exactly doing well in Israel. Okay? As you can imagine, the pressure was falling on young Jewish men to take care of their parents when they got older. The pressure was mounting on these young Israelite men to provide not only for their own immediate family, but to provide for their parents who had fallen on hard times. the Pharisees slowly began to loathe this obligation. They slowly began to hate this obligation to a growing demand of impoverished and needy parents. They were tired of tending to their needs. They had worked hard for their money and their personal property. Why should they need to set aside a weekly ration for the parents? What could be done To avoid this burden, they began to conspire in their hearts how to relieve themselves from this obligation. They began to conspire in their hearts how to relieve themselves of this obligation. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15. He says, Those things which proceed, excuse me, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Friends, what began as a frustration in their hearts turned into words and actions that would betray the very spirit of God's, uh, the very spirit of God's law to honor one's mother and one's father. The Pharisees found a way to avoid tending to the needs of their parents. Korban. Yes, they reasoned. If we verbally declare our money, our property, our livestock, indeed, if we declare all that we have as Korban, as a gift to God that we will one day give to the temple, then we can lawfully avoid, notice the term, lawfully avoid contributing to our parents' livelihood. 
Yes, if we merely tell our parents that all I have is now korban, then surely we will not be obligated by God to help them in their time of need. We can avoid personal sacrifice and loss. We can evade helping our parents. We can circumvent God's law with another law. Brilliant. Friends, this mindset was building. Scholars speculate that this began toward the Babylonian exile 600 years ago. Let me share with you a brief passage which illustrates that. Ezekiel 22, verses 6 to 7. Ezekiel says this in 600 B.C. He says, Look at the princes of Israel. Each one has used his power to shed blood in you. In you they have made light of father and mother. In your midst they have oppressed the stranger and you they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. Friends, this was building in Israel. This concept of korban, which perhaps started 600 years prior during the Babylonian times, had escalated to the point in which today, in the first century, in Jesus' day, mother and father were being neglected time and time again in favor of korban. Back to verse 12. Back to verse 11. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, then you Pharisees no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. I, uh, I speculate how this might have transpired in, the, in that early times. I imagine a young Jewish man frustrated with his obligation to his mother and his father walking up to a rabbi in the first century. He says, Rabbi, my parents are old and they're poor. They're asking me for help. I want to obey God's law and honor my parents. But look here, I have my wife and my children. We have some extra money, but... I was hoping to save it for them. And besides, I've worked hard for that money. Does God really want me to part with it in this manner? What do you think I should do? The rabbi might have responded, Young man, you can still please God and retain your worldly belongings. The Torah, God's law, tells us that if we simply declare our possessions as Korban, then God will be pleased with such a great sacrifice. Keep your possessions. Keep them as long as you'd like. Even until death if you prefer. In the end, it will be given to the temple. But for now, you will be released from honoring your parents in this manner. And your parents, they'll understand. They'll understand your great sacrifice. They'll understand that you're doing this as a gift unto God. You can still honor God and retain your worldly belongings. It's a, it's, a, it's a gross perversion of God's law. It was a gross perversion of God's law. When Korban was invoked by a man in the first century, it was illegal. Illegal for him to do anything with that property until it was given to the temple. 
He could not give it to his parents. It was against the law. You say, how could they do this? How could they neglect their parents in this manner? Friends, I, I, I fear that oftentimes we are just as guilty in our culture today. In today's Western culture, we oftentimes push our parents aside to the state. And we let the state take care of our parents via welfare programs or some sort of home. Perhaps we let the church take care of our parents. We assume, well, that's what the church is there for. Maybe the church can take care of my mom and dad. And I can just retain my worldly belongings. I've worked hard for them. Friends, when we neglect our filial duty to our parents, when we neglect to take care of those who have taken care of us, we are circumventing and perverting God's law. There's no other way to put it. When we set our parents aside and let someone else tend to their needs in their greatest time of need, when they're older and become ill or impoverished, then we are perverting God's intent. And what happens when we do that? Look at verse 13. It says this, making this, what this does is it makes the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. Jesus says, and you do this all the time, many such things you do. No effect, that is to say revoked, invalidated, canceled, disregarded. You make God's law invalidated. You cancel it by that action. What are we to do? What are we to do? The practice of Korban after the time of Jesus on into the time of the apostles and whatnot was really not discussed verbatim. The word itself never came up elsewhere in the New Testament. This is the only instance in the New Testament in which you'll find this word, although it is repeated in the Old Testament, particularly in Leviticus 26, 27. But there is something that I believe is heavily alluded to regarding the practice of Korban. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. Notice what Paul says to young Timothy. Look at chapter 5, starting verses 3 and 4, and then to verse 16. He says, Timothy, honor widows who are really widows. Verse 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them, that is to say the children or grandchildren, first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. Notice verse 16. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them, that is to say the son or the daughter, relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Friends, it's my contention that this is exactly what Paul is alluding to in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He's alluding to the first century practice of Korban. He knows that it is a temptation to the first century Christian or Jew to declare their possessions as korban, as a gift to God, and neglect their filial duty. He knows that 2,000 years later, in Southern California, it's going to be a temptation 
for all of us as children to push our parents off to the state, to push our parents off to the church, and say, let them take care of them. Paul knows full well this is not just a first century problem. It's going to occur down through the centuries. And so he gives us the instruction that he does. And friends, notice clearly, he says, you family members, take care of your own. You children, take care of your mother. You grandchildren, take care of your mother, your grandmother. Paul says, care for the ones who have cared for you. Do not merely invoke korban and assume that you can neglect that duty. Application. What can we learn from this today? Two very simple points I want to bring out. The first is this. Children, and I say when I say children, I say all of you who still have parents today, you who are children, be ready and willing to care for the needs of your parents as they grow older. Be ready and willing to care for their needs. They may become ill. Age may set in. They may, become, they may fall on hard financial times. Children, all of you who have parents today, you are asked of God to care for their needs, period. You're asked to care for their needs. Two, we as the church should be ready to care, to, excuse me, to take care of widows and others in need if their family cannot or does not provide for them. We as the church should be ready to take care of these widows and others if their families cannot or does not provide for them. Now notice, Paul makes it very clear that the church comes second. It is our responsibility first. When my parents grow older, it is my responsibility first. I am not to let their church handle their needs exhaustively. The church comes after family obligation. And the church is ready and willing. I know this church is. I know we have a benevolent fund that we offer to those in need. And any of you who are widows or are hurting financially, falling on tough times, I want you to know this church is absolutely positively here to help you. At the same time, I'm encouraging your children today to help first. To step up to the plate first and let the church help when family is unable to or when family doesn't offer to help. Moms today and dads, I want to say to you very clearly, we as children are grateful for how you have taken care of us. And as the scriptures have told us today, we intend to take care of you. So may that be on our hearts this Mother's Day. May we take care of mom as she has taken care of us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for uh, this simple reminder, Lord. Your word is simple yet powerful so often, Father. Lord, you've given to us today a concept that we can lay hold of, that we can in part identify with, Father. We know the temptation that is around us today to neglect the elderly, to neglect those who are widows, to neglect those who have taken care of us, Father, that temptation is real. And yet, Lord, you remind us of what is good and pleasing to you. That is to take care of our parents, to take care of our mothers and our fathers who have taken care of us. Lord, I pray that we would not grow slack 
in that endeavor. Father, I pray that we would be children who could assure our parents unequivocally that we will do everything in our power to take care of them when they are old. Father, may this Mother's Day, may we remind our mothers that we are here to protect them and to care for them as they've done so for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.